welcome to uh, our live Q&A and uh, on three unobvious changes to selling so we can future-proof uh, sales. Well, let's get started, Matt. So, um, yeah, so what, um, what do sellers need to know to successfully influence millennial B2B decision makers? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on uh, again. I'm very much uh, uh, very grateful for it. Um, but we, first of all, we're talking about people who are between 24 and 39 years of age this year. So that's the millennial generation. We're talking about B2B selling. So this is businesses selling to each other. And interestingly enough, the ABS uh, in their latest census report in 2018 said that millennials are now the biggest demographic in the workplace in Australia. Now that means that if they aren't already, they're very soon going to be the majority of decision makers oh. in B2B selling. So we really have to understand the way that millennials are different from the previous generation, which was Gen X. So all of my comments are going to be in comparison to Gen X. And can you just give us some background, Matt? Um, I know you've been a facilitator for Brainpower Training for many years. Yes. Whenever you've been um, engaged by one of our clients for sales training or in the field sales coaching, they've been over the moon with uh, your, okay. your interaction and the results that they've seen in their people and they've rebooked you. So, and I forgot to mention all of that at the top. But um, just can you give us the context around how you got the information you're about to share with us? You were involved in a large... Big Four Bank uh, coaching event that uh, and you discovered certain things. Well, we did. We discovered these three unobvious things. So back in February two thousand eighteen, uh, and I can call call it now the ComBank. They're quite happy for me to use their name. Right. Uh, we did a, a I did a coaching program of millennials and their bosses and how they make decisions. Uh, and in that period of uh, six months of that program, we learned, we learned these three unobvious differences relative to Gen X. Uh, the first one sounds quite obvious, but it actually has a number of ramifications for how we sell. Uh, and that is that uh, compared to Gen X, millennials are much more comfortable with short duration electronic messaging. So with my generation, it's not uncommon to have an email with six different points. We think that's a very efficient way of doing it. You, I did not find that when I was coaching the millennials. They, they are very much about one topic, one issue, and that's all they really focus on. Uh, and, and so they're very much like that messaging type culture. So that means if you try to sell them something, they're not going to listen if you sort of build up a number of points and rattle through. And so what you've got to do, we found, is you've got to use Socratic questioning, which is a way of uh, educating uh, people in a B2B sales environment. And it sounds a bit like this. What would your view be on how operational risk could potentially be reduced on your shop floor if you introduce safety mentoring? If you talk like that, you're much more likely to get the interaction uh, with millennials um, than you will if you just try to go through a number of dot points and then ask them what they think. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's, that's actually a lesson that I've learned, which is when you're interviewing and asking questions, ask one question, don't ask two. Exactly right. But is, is it has, does it have anything to do with short-term memory or... 
No, uh, we, we looked at, I looked into this uh, uh, to see if I could work out what the root cause was. I just think it's, they're very comfortable with that sort of, let me say one thing, then you come back. Let me say one thing and you come back. They're more familiar with that messaging interchange than the previous generation was. That's right. And see, in the past, I suppose, when there were letters and there were emails, um, you know, you could do a number of points, but with text and with Twitter and with, you know, all the social media, it's very much a focused point. So they're actually, their attention has actually been moulded that way. That's right. That's exactly right. right. That's very... But that's the first one of the three. The, the second one is that... Uh, they highly value what I call accelerated industry knowledge. Uh, interestingly enough, that same ABS census found that 43% of millennials in the workplace in Australia are intending to change companies within two years. And the only way they can do that is if they accelerate their own knowledge within the industries that they're in. Oh. And so in selling, if you want to influence them, you need to educate them with relevant industry experience. But the trick is that they are highly self-educated people. They already use YouTube uh, presentations and, and what have you, and webinars, Google Scholar, and of course, you know, search engines. They're actually highly educated. So you can't bring them this, that sort of material that's available generally on the internet because they'd probably already know it. And what you've got to do is bring your own experience or some other type of experience, like survey results, for example, that they don't have. Then they will be very interested because it accelerates their own knowledge. So that would suggest if you were selling to millennials to try and do your own survey so that you've got unique information that they Correct. might want, Correct. that would actually be the evidence that they're looking for that what you're offering is of value. Correct. So that, that's a very commonly, a very common thing in, in B2B selling to millennials, as is your own industry experience, uh, because that's something that's unique. You can bring that to them. Are you saying, with your own industry experience, are you saying telling a story or giving a case study that is something that is actually, I often find with stories, they're visual, they're able to be, um, followed mentally and it creates interest That's and right. it's memorable so you're saying they particularly like case studies they particularly like case studies because it accelerates their knowledge of the industry yeah yeah the the next one uh is is quite fascinating they tend to compared to gen x want to use creativity and new ideas more in their jobs so for example, with Gen X, we often used innovation and, and I would call it evolutionary innovation. We would describe what was something that they could do to consider in their business that was maybe just one step up from what they did. You know, Incremental today. change. Yes, so millennials we discovered, they don't want evolutionary change, they want revolutionary change. They want a huge step change because it's creative and it's something new. And so if you really want to influence them to a high degree, you need to find something that's evolutionary in your approach, whether it's a product or the way that you deal with the client or what your service offering is or pricing. It needs to be something quite different. So do you then use words like Apple has the slogan, think different? Yeah. And slogans like that. 
Indeed. Uh, rather than say new, so you want to use um, words like revolutionary or what are, what are some buzzwords? Well, re revolutionary innovation is a, a phrase that I often talk about with my coaches, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is probably the most interesting one of the lot. Uh, compared to Gen X, they are less comfortable in influencing their immediate boss and particularly executives. Uh, and, and that's very interesting to me because it implies, and in fact, now I've discovered that they are, that millennial decision makers are less likely to want to go back into their organisation and try to convince their executives that a, a change in scope or a change in terms and conditions or a, a change in product spec is now a good idea. They're less likely to want to do that because they find it harder to do than their Gen X counterparts. So millennials, if they are asking for X, they don't want you to suggest X plus one. They want you to suggest X. Hmm. Because if you suggest X plus one, they've got to go back into their organization and convince some fairly senior stakeholders that X plus one is actually a better idea. And they don't particularly like doing that. Now, of course, we're, we're, we're putting, all of that age group into one box, if you like, in terms of behaviour. Right. And can I just say that there's distinguishing features between fixed mindset and growth mindset. Yes. And what you're describing is very much growth mindset, but people innately are a, a mix of both. Yes. Are you suggesting that the nature of their upbringing and their experiences that have moulded them has cultivated a more growth mindset as a cohort? Well, certainly in terms of creativity and new ideas, yes. But You're saying that that particular group is more open to creativity and new ideas than Gen X and even baby boomers before them? Very likely, yes, that's what I think. But in terms of their ability to influence higher level executives, they appear to be behind the ability of Gen Xs. They appear to have a lower capability to do that. Is it that they don't feel confident that they can do it or they don't want to go to the trouble? Or if, if somebody can't see it, why should I be bothered to explain it to them? Well, I do have a theory. Um, and I have to say that the data that I've got doesn't entirely support this theory. It supports part of it. Right. But here it is. Uh, the theory that I've got is that uh, senior people inside organisations and, and senior executives they are holding multiple ideas and issues in their heads at once. That's how they do things. Yeah. Whereas millennials are very much about one issue at a time. And I think that that clash of thinking models is what is at the heart of the, their lack of confidence. So does that suggest that if, if you had millennials working for you, that you might actually train them in thinking styles to actually get them okay. to be more open to multiple, like ambivalence and multiple ideas. Because see, ambivalence is the, is, is the ability to hold two ideas at once, knowing that they're contradictory, right. which is gray thinking, as opposed to black and white thinking, which means if that is true, the other can't be true even in a, in a little bit. Well, I think, you're, I think you're right on the money. I think the sort of training and coaching and mentoring that millennials who are in decision-making roles would probably need the most is influencing skills and part of influencing skills is understanding thinking mode. So I think you, you think you're right.
And there's also design thinking, which can be learned as well. Right. And see, I just go back to a book that I read that was uh, written by De Bono. Yes. Edward De Bono. Uh, uh, he wrote Six Thinking Hats and he's, he, he, he coined the phrase lateral thinking for those that may not know who Edward De Bono was. I, I met him when he was in Australia. He wrote a little book called The Dog Exercise Machine. And he did research that uh, he asked school children to design and draw a dog exercise machine. So you could imagine it would be like a walking conveyor belt, you know, automated, but there were all sorts of designs. Wow. One group, he trained them in creative thinking and lateral thinking. The other group, he didn't train them at all. Right. You, could, you could definitely argue that those that were trained in creativity, lateral thinking, had far more elegant designs that were like more surprising than the kids that just went, oh yes, I'll design a machine and just drew something up. So there's an argument for training in thinking styles to open up their, the possibilities, yeah? Yeah, I think that's a very, that would be a very good fit for millennials in decision-making roles, yes. Okay, and they also need training in influencing because one of the things we do in business communication is we talk about the language of influence. So, and this is my little tip for everybody. Uh, some, one of the little tips I've learned when you're influencing someone either face-to-face -face or even on email is if you do decide to dot, 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 action, then, and in fact, I even say, if you do decide to attend, then it makes sense to me too. Da, 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 da. So right. what do you think? Right. <laughs> Actually, I've got that one phrase from a book by Stephen Schiffman, who's a, a, a guru, sales guru in the States. And this one book uh, about closing, closing techniques, just it's like from 20 years ago. The one thing I got out of it was, it makes sense to me for you to dot, dot, dot. What do you think? And when you ask that question at the right time, it, it often gets the yes. Um, so, so people, the millennials, what if, if they are in sales, do they need to be taught these influencing skills as well? Or they might give up too soon. Well, that's an interesting dynamic. I, I observed that in the program with the Combank. And when they're selling to each other, the communication works a lot better but you still have this problem with influence. So if, for example, a millennial in a decision-making context doesn't have the delegated level of authority to make a decision, because it might involve you know, millions of dollars, for example, yes, um, they are still going to experience that problem because their customer, who's also a millennial, is less comfortable in influencing executives. So we might have to practice what's called one-up selling, which is tricky, but it can be done where you bring along your, your sponsor to a, a one-up meeting with their boss and you, and you directly influence their boss. That, that is one very common way that millennials who are selling to millennials can, um, can address that issue. That's, that's very interesting because I know that um, when you deliver selling, sales training, uh, and I've learned from you for, for this, you have to understand who has the level of authority because often whoever we're talking to is not the ultimate decision maker. And there are tactics to enable to 
to try and work out who that decision maker is. It's, I mean, it's asking in the right way, isn't it? Well, it is. Sometimes there's very overt clues. So, for example, you can ask a Socratic question um, along the lines of what would the organisation potentially think about an offer which includes this innovation? And often with millennials, what you'll hear back is, well, I'm not sure I'd have to go and discuss it with X and Y and Z. And so you know straight away that that person is not a decision maker. They may well be an influencer, perhaps even a key influencer, but they're clearly not a decision maker. Mm. Where, when you ask that question to a millennial who is a decision maker, you, you get quite a different uh, response. If that suggestion of yours is, is in line with their creative idea, they get very excited about it. As long as it doesn't mean they've got to go back and change something in, or influence someone in their own organisation. So you get a very strong, positive response from them if they uh, are in a decision-making role. Now, I'm excited by the fact that you refer, you've referred twice already to the Socratic questioning method, which is Socrates, asking yes. questions. Are you saying that um, with millennials, you need to ask more questions than perhaps with other uh, generations? Or yes. Is that so compared, good practice anyway? It is good practice, but compared to Gen X, Gen X were more likely to translate dot points that you might be telling them into an advantage or a benefit compared to millennials. Millennials are very much more likely to understand the benefit of something if you ask them a question. Well, look, we've gone into 18 minutes and I'd really, if anybody does have a question, uh, please pop it in the chat box, but I'll just keep asking my questions because... Um, <laughs> You know, this is a wonderful opportunity, Matt, to ask you questions about sales training because I know you do it for us, but I'm not always in the room when you do. <laughs> um, so it's, it's obviously good practice. What you just said was if you, if you um, don't... Well, let me say, it's good practice to uh, mention a feature then to go on and mention the benefit. That's right. Are you saying that with Gen X, if you forget to mention the benefit, they will make the mental leap and probably make that connection. But if you just mention the benefit without, sorry, if you just mentioned the feature without mentioning the benefit to that age range, which is up to 39 years of age, they won't think any further. That you have to do the thinking for them and say, which means and what yep. the benefits will be. And I've also learnt to then paint a picture, not only the benefit, then, and which means, uh, say it's stress relieving or mindfulness, which means you'll go to bed at night and sleep like a baby, wake up feeling refreshed. I always like to try and find an image that is kind of, you know, touchy feely that they can relate to, depending on what the product or the service is. Right, right. Uh, any, so I'm just thinking now about, um, how would you nudge a millennial to know what they don't know? Well, that's where Socratic questioning works beautifully with millennials. So with that example I gave you earlier, you know, what would your views potentially be on reducing operational risk by introducing expert safety mentoring, something like that, right? That can nudge them because they think, well, hang on a minute, safety mentoring, why would that be a good idea in my industry? And that's that whole industry knowledge driver of theirs, right? So yes. they, they, they quite often will come back with another question and say, well, what, have, what are you thinking about there? Is there an example that perhaps you could, you could give me? And then off it goes. And as long as you keep it to this sort of messaging type 
uh, interaction, um, you, you, can, you can nudge them quite a long way to change their thinking. And who do they take their advice from? Well, anybody who's got a great deal of industry experience. So Gen mm. Xs were more likely to sort of go their own way, whereas millennials, uh, as in comparison, this is all relative, uh, seem to be much more likely to take some, I want to use the word guru, it's terrible, but I want to use some sort of guru in the industry but, who's yeah. had more experience, more relevant experience for them they're more likely to be influenced by people who've got that high level of industry experience. So if you wanted to improve the results of a sales team that was in that age range, you know, under 40, what would be more, uh, uh, get better results, achieve better results? Would it be one-on-one -on -one coaching? Because then you're the expert and you're giving them specific advice and you can tailor it one-on-one -on -one, uh, or, you know, one idea at a time or, or would you, or, or, or is group training still a good thing? Well, actually both work. So in ComBank, we started with a group workshop where I asked them to all contribute their understanding of where the industry, their particular industry was going. And once I understood what they knew, I could then understand what they didn't know. And then I worked with them one-on-one -on -one through coaching yes. to actually help them individually understand what they, did, they couldn't see. Now the challenge with self-education is that in a, in a live workshop, whether it be virtual, which they are very much so these days, as well as face-to-face -face with social distancing, the challenge is that a lot of people think that just give me the facts and just give me the video and I'll self-educate. But what, uh, what happens during a conversation sometimes can't be replicated outside of that group interaction and it's priceless. Have you had that experience? Well, indeed. Um, so the, the, the group interaction is a gentler way for people to understand what they don't know than an individual one-on-one. -on -one. They, they feel like they're being assessed sometimes. Uh, when you oh, one-on-one. On one. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in a group environment with their peers, where they are doing the talking, saying, this is what I know, what do you know? It's a far gentler way for them to go, oh, gee, I didn't know that. And then I make a note of that. And in the coaching, I can say, look, I, 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 I recognised in the workshop that you said you, you didn't know this. Would you like to explore that? And they'll say, yes, let's do something in that area. And then off we go. And you know what? Finding out what you don't know is, is key to learning because I'll give you an example. I've got a, a new website platform called Kajabi that I've shifted from WordPress to. And for about a month, they have these live Q&As, which in America, their 3 p.m. was my 8 a.m. So I used to log in for about an hour. I could ask my questions, but then I'd be hearing the questions. It was very much live Q&A, uh, hearing their questions. And I go, you know, like what's an accordion, which is a, a, a way to display information if you have lots of little bits, like even if you had like a podcast. I'm going, I didn't even know there was a thing called an accordion. So by someone asking about, you know, features and functions, I found out stuff that I never might never have found out. There you know? go. So that's, that's right. the beauty of that conversation, that group experience is you've got, uh, you've got synergy. And um, so any closing thoughts to sales managers that might be listening? So I think, I think two things. First of all, 
when, 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 when themselves or their people who aren't millennials are selling to millennials to remember Socratic questioning, uh, revolutionary innovation. Yes, that would be. Talking in bite-sized pieces, like almost like messaging. Yeah. Uh, and, and my second uh, uh, conclusion point would be uh, if those sales managers have uh, people who, salespeople who are millennials, is to think about uh, group and um, individual coaching to help them learn what they don't know about the industry uh, right. because they will highly value that and become quite motivated because that's a very big hot button for them. Are you saying that you, the sales manager needs to find a mentor somewhere within the organisation or even an industry expert to maybe come in and do... Um you know, lunch and learn or, or, or a yeah. short session, even if it's virtual. Yeah. And the thing about bite-sized pieces, that probably has uh, impact on how you send a proposal and how you design the look of a proposal. Indeed. So, so we discovered that millennials are much more likely to read a short executive summary if yeah. they're a decision-making role. Um, so two-page exec summary is too long. You know, half a page, possibly, about right. Yes, because, and I've got a question come in. Phil, thank you very much. I'll ask it in a moment. I just wanted to say uh, what I've learned with um, sending proposals is you send the basic information. Then there's a thing uh, that Simon Reynolds called own the indecision period, yes. O-T-I-P. I call it my O-TIP emails. And then you send your little pieces of information as a small bite subsequently to right. that. And so you actually slice and dice the non-essential information, but the supporting evidence as separate little emails, not every day, but just maybe once a week, appropriately, depending on. Now, here's the question. Uh, I'm a Gen X and my three salespeople are all older than me. Yeah. How would you go about assessing if a millennial is going to be a good fit for the company and for me as a manager? So this millennial would be, the, the youngest in the team with Gen X and older sounds like baby boomer or older Gen X, yeah. Oh, this is a great question, Phil. So <laughs> let me give you the short answer and then I'm happy to elaborate. The short answer is you'd want to do some site profiling uh, and what you'd want to do is assess uh, on a number of uh, attributes, natural traits, the fit of a millennial into your current sales team environment. Uh, and so everybody in the sales team would need to do it. And in setting up the profiling, it will give you a match indicator. It's plus or minus, of course, it's not precise, but uh, psychological traits testing is now pretty good. It's up in the 90% accuracy type range. So you do that and you'd make a decision partially on that. The second thing you'd be aware of, I think, Phil, is a millennial coming in might feel a little bit, um, what's the right word, um, perhaps a little, uh, a, a little afraid of asking for industry knowledge because they know that they've got a lower level than some of their peers. So you might have to encourage them to put their hand up regularly when they want to understand something more about the industry because uh, we know that's a very strong driver for them. So they may be just a little gun shy about asking questions about that. If you're going to hire one millennial, should you actually hire two if the, if the payroll will, will support it? So they actually feel like they've got someone else in their age range? I'm not sure it's that. I can, I, it's certainly very logical what you said. 
I think it's more the fit between them and their natural traits and the natural traits of the yes. rest of the sales team. I want to thank you, Matt, for coming today. Uh, people, you've got a very likeable way about you, and that's what I find is that people naturally, you gain rapport with any age range. So if, you, if they wanted to work with you, uh, if they want you to work with their team, uh, that's something we can arrange. But um, mm. really... Um, uh, improved my knowledge of uh, working with millennials. So thanks very much for coming along today. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, everybody. Pleasure, everybody. All the best. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.